This is video podcast 44 from learningradiology.com, Fractures and Dislocations of the Knee, Part 1. Hello, I'm William Herring from Albert Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the relevant anatomy of the knee, some soft tissue clues that we can see on conventional radiographs, fractures of the distal femur, dislocations around the knee, and some related diseases. The knee is one of the most commonly injured joints, especially in adolescents and in those who are athletically inclined. Conventional radiographs are the first study usually obtained in knee injuries, but they can be normal even in the face of extensive soft tissue injury. So MRI is the imaging modality of choice for soft tissue and occult bone injuries. MRI is superior in defining soft tissue injuries. It is non-invasive, it has high resolution, and images can be displayed in multiple planes. It is especially useful for demonstrating coexisting injuries, not clinically apparent, that change the treatment or the prognosis. In general, MRI findings of ligamentous injuries will include non-visualization of the ligament or tendon, disruption, and abnormally increased signal. We're going to concern ourselves primarily with the findings on conventional radiographs. A standard conventional examination of the knee will always include an AP and a lateral view. In some institutions, it may also include an internal and an external oblique projection of the knee. In other institutions, it may also include or include instead a tunnel or notch view of the knee, which demonstrates the femoral condyles in their posterior aspects and the intercondylar notch and intercondylar eminence particularly well, and the axial skyline tangential or sunrise view of the patella, which shows the patella in its AP dimension and demonstrates the joint space between the patella and the femur. The major components of the knee joint include the lateral femoral condyle, the medial femoral condyle, the medial tibial condyle, and the lateral condyle of the tibia. The flat surface formed by the medial and lateral tibial condyles is the tibial plateau, which has a lateral and a medial component. Also important are the tibial spines, the anterior or medial tibial spine and the posterior or lateral tibial spine. The intercondylar eminence is variously called the area that contains both of the tibial spines and it's sometimes referred to as the area that includes only the anterior tibial spine. In the lateral projection, the important anatomic considerations are the quadriceps tendon, fat that lies immediately posterior to the quadriceps tendon in the suprapatellar fat, the region of the suprapatellar bursa, which communicates with the joint space, the patella, which develops in the quadriceps tendon and is a sesamoid, the infrapatellar fat pad, called Hoffa's fat pad, the patellar ligament, which inserts on the tibial tuberosity. The major ligaments of the knee include the anterior cruciate ligament, which arises from the lateral femoral condyle and inserts anterior and lateral to the anterior tibial spine. 
the posterior cruciate ligament, which arises from the medial femoral condyle and inserts posterior to the tibial spines on the posterior tibia. The tibial collateral ligament, also sometimes called the medial collateral ligament, a two-layered broad and flat ligament which arises from the medial femoral condyle and inserts superficially onto the medial condyle of the tibia. The deep fibers of the medial collateral ligament are bound to the articular capsule of the knee medially. And the fibular collateral ligament, also called the lateral collateral ligament, which is a cord-like ligament that arises from the lateral femoral condyle and inserts on the head of the fibula. There are two soft tissue clues to the presence of an underlying knee injury, joint effusions and lipohemarthrosis. Suprapatellar effusions occupy the clear space, which is above the patella and posterior to the quadriceps tendon. When effusions become large enough, they can actually tilt the superior aspect of the patella forward. This is a normal lateral view of the knee with the diagram next to it. The arrows are pointing to the soft tissue density that represents the quadriceps tendon. Just posterior is the clear space that's formed by the suprapatellar fat. Inferior to the patella is a clear space formed by the infrapatellar fat. This is an example of a suprapatellar effusion. You can see there is a large oval-shaped soft tissue density just above the patella. Top of the patella is tilted forward, and there's actually some infiltration of the infrapatellar fat. This slide demonstrates the difference in appearance between a suprapatellar effusion and a rupture of the quadriceps tendon. On the right, the suprapatellar fat space, in the case of the ruptured quadriceps tendon, tends to remain clear. The bulk of the soft tissue density is in the region of the quadriceps tendon, and you can see that the patella is tilted forward. The two of them do resemble each other. A lipohemarthrosis occurs when fat exits the marrow cavity secondary to an intraarticular fracture. It most commonly is secondary to a tibial plateau fracture. Fat, being lighter than blood, will float on the blood, forming a fat fluid level. Occasionally, there may be further sedimentation, and the cells will sediment from the serum so that a triple fluid level can be seen. In order to see a lipohemarthrosis, we must have a horizontal X-ray beam, one that is parallel to the floor. This is an example of the fat fluid level in a lipohemarthrosis in a patient with a severely fractured proximal tibia. And the image is oriented in the way that you would normally be viewing it. You can see the fat fluid level, which the red arrow is pointing to. This image shows the actual position of the leg when the exposure was made, with the fat floating above the blood. And this diagram demonstrates how a lipohemarthrosis can be seen by virtue of the x-ray beam being horizontal in nature. The patient is lying on the table, the x-ray tube is on the left, and the cassette is on the right. 
In order to see that fat fluid level in the knee, the x-ray beam must be horizontal in nature. In fact, to see any air fluid level or any interface, there must be a horizontal x-ray beam. We would not be able to see the lipohemarthrosis as a fluid fluid level if the x-ray beam were vertical in nature. This is a CT scan just above the knee, which shows a triple level. There is fat that is floating above serum, and there is a denser layer of cells present. Structures of the distal femur can be supracondylar, condylar, or intercondylar. They usually occur as a result of an axial load on a flexed knee, and most commonly occur in motor vehicle accidents and falls. Associated injuries can include ligamentous injuries, especially to the anterior cruciate ligament. About 20% of fractures of the distal femur are associated with ligamentous injuries. Vascular injuries in about 2-3% and tibial plateau fractures. This is a CT reconstruction of a supracondylar fracture. The red arrows are pointing to the diagonal fracture line just above the femoral condyles. This is a frontal radiograph of a patient with a comminuted intercondylar fracture. Not only is there a supracondylar fracture, but the fracture extends between the two condyles into the joint space, so this is an intraarticular fracture. This is a fracture of only one condyle that is seen only on the lateral projection. There is a diagonal fracture that goes through the lateral condyle of this patient's knee. Dislocations of the knee are relatively rare. They can be tibiofemoral, and they're described by the resting place of the tibia. They can also be patellofemoral. Patellar dislocations usually are lateral, and that's because the lateral femoral condyle is more shallow than the medial femoral condyle. Subluxations of the knee are more common than dislocations and usually are of a more chronic nature. This is an example of a posterior dislocation of the tibia. In a dislocation such as this, you can imagine there would be a high incidence of ligamentous injury, and you can see that the tibia lies posterior to the femur. This is actually less frequent than an anterior dislocation of the tibia, but both are relatively uncommon. This is what a skyline view of the patella normally looks like. We see the medial and lateral femoral condyles and the patella anterior to them. And this is an example of a patellar dislocation in which the patella is clearly dislocated laterally. This is another example of a patellar dislocation you can see that the patella sits far lateral to the lateral femoral condyle and is outlined by the red arrows. There are two related diseases, which will conclude this podcast, Osgood-Schlatterer and Sending-Larsen-Johansen disease. Both occur in adolescence, usually in males. They are both thought now to be due to repetitive trauma, Sending-Larsen-Johansen disease occurs at the proximal end of the patellar tendon, and Osgood-Schlatterer occurs at the distal end of the patellar tendon. Both of these are clinical diagnoses. They both feature local pain and tenderness. X-ray images don't have to be attained in order to make these diagnoses. These are clinical. 
Sending Larson Johansson disease is a traction stress that occurs on the proximal end of the patellar ligament where it arises from the inferior pole of the patella. Imaging findings can include fragmentation at the inferior pole of the patella and soft tissue swelling. There may also be heterotopic ossification that occurs in the patellar tendon. This is an example of Sending Larson Johansson disease in which there is fragmentation of the lower pole of the patella. This would look radiographically identical to a patella with multiple ossification centers, but the presence of pain and tenderness in this region would identify it clinically as sending Larson-Johansson disease. Osgood-Schlatter disease is a traction apophysitis or osteochondritis secondary to repetitive stress injury at the site of the tibial tubercle or tuberosity. It is bilateral in 25 to 50% of cases, and the imaging findings could include fragmentation and soft tissue swelling. This is a lateral knee projection in an adolescent boy with Osgood-Schlatter disease. The red arrow is pointing to fragmentation of the tibial tubercle and the white arrow to the presence of soft tissue swelling. The clinical history was pain and tenderness over the tibial tubercle. In the next podcast, we'll talk about patellar fractures, fractures of the tibial plateaus, osteochondral injuries, bony clues to soft tissue injuries, and there'll be a mini quiz.